There is no sickness in heaven. There is no fear in heaven. There is no death in heaven. There is no shame, guilt, or sin in heaven. So now that you know that, I want you to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Lord Jesus, right now, in our homes, in our communities, in our families, in our marriages, oh God, at our schools, at our college campuses, in our public government, God, on earth as it is in heaven over the entire Omaha metro, over the entire state of Nebraska, over the entire Midwest region, on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. If you believe it, say amen. amen. And the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Welcome you to the Church of Omaha. We're glad you're here. If this is your first or second time, we're so glad you're here or back again uh, being our guest. We appreciate you and uh, look forward to connecting with you. If you're joining us online, thank you. Amen. Before we dismiss our kids, do want to mention we've obviously had a change to our giving platform. And so if you've got any questions, the ushers are going to hand out a PDF uh, a form right now that you can look at uh, and follow that to uh, download the Faith Teams app and uh, prepare. So if you want to give online or if you haven't already done it, you've got some questions, just raise your hand. They're going to hand these out and uh, there'll be some questions. If you have particular questions that maybe the PDF doesn't seem to answer or you just don't understand, Pastor Trevor, wave your hands. There's he. You can talk to him. Uh, he's our go-to guru, amen, on all that stuff. If he can't answer it, I'll try to answer it. And if either one of us can't, we'll just have you give cash, amen. <laughs> but no, it, it should be easy enough to figure out and uh, you can use your uh, checking and routing, which is ACH, or you can use a debit uh, card if you want, and there's different ways. One thing we would like to ask you to consider is due to the processing fees, if it's all at all possible for you to select that button that says cover processing fees, um, you'll get credit for that, of course, on your giving, but that just means the church gets a, the full amount rather than less the fees. So consider that when you're giving, and if you've got any questions, again, see Pastor Trevor, or myself. Amen. Yes. Oh, you're waving again. Okay, great. Thank you. Amen. Uh, could you go into my study and when you face my desk in that drawer, the middle drawer, there's some white cloths. Can you bring me one, please? Thank you. All right, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children. Uh, I believe our teens are also going out tonight. I think that's it because our elements is already out. So teens, children, God bless you and all of our staff. Let's give them all a great big hand. Amen and amen. What's that? Oh, okay. Hallelujah. All right. Howard's going to take care of it. Got it. Yep. 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 Same thing. You're good. So, amen, amen. Thank you, Sister Dana. Praise the Lord. Well, how many of you excited for a Bible study tonight? You're here, so that says something. Amen. And if you're tuning in online, thank you for watching. Now, Pastor Jeremy uh, is, is on the docket for this month, but as you know, sometimes his schedule gets a little crazy. Plus, uh, it's, it's a crazy time of year and season, but also they're understaffed. And so uh, just keep him in his uh, job and your prayers. Uh, so I'm kind of pinch hitting tonight and filling in. I hope I'll do as good of a job as he would have done. 
Amen. I'm sure the Lord will see us through. Amen? Now, we're reading this month the books of uh, Luke and Philemon and James. Now, when we did them on the U version, we did Philemon, James, and, and Luke last. Luke is going to be the last uh, 10 or 12 days leading up to Christmas. I think it ends on Christmas Eve. So we did that on the U version side. So if you're, if you're reading it without the U version, you're already in Luke, that's fine. And of course, Jeremy is teaching from that. He started his series. But tonight, I'm going to blend a little bit of stuff from uh, Philemon and James. So if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> join with me. And we're going to go to Philemon, verses 4 through 6. Now, if there's ever a book of the Bible that only has one chapter like Philemon or Jude or, or second or third John, Obadiah is one in the Old Testament like that, you don't have to say Obadiah chapter 1, verse 5. Now, you might if you're a quizzer and it's required. And, and so if that's the case and you're quizzing, you know, follow that plan. But you can technically say Philemon, verses 4 and 6, because there is only one chapter. So I did that one time, and somebody said, what chapter are we in? And I said, well, since there's only one, we're in first chapter. So Philemon 1, verses 4 through 6. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and thy faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Tonight, with the help of the Lord, uh, and for just a little while, I want to teach on this subject, the totality of true faith. Amen. The totality of true faith. Father, let the living word preach the written word. Make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. Open our understanding that we may comprehend the scripture. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and inscribe your words in our heart that we might apply it and obey it. We pray all of this in the majestic, marvelous, and magnificent name of Jesus Christ. And would you say amen? amen. Pardon my sniffles. Uh, I am getting over this, and I'm feeling a lot, lot better, but amen. So I apologize in advance if I sniffle a little bit. Amen. I'm trying to be mindful of that. Uh, although tonight... With the help of the Lord, we're going to explore the entirety of the book of James. God wanted me to open with a textual reading from Philemon. Let me just lay the backdrop for just a moment. Philemon was so confident in the true faith, or Paul, excuse me, was so confident in the true faith of Philemon that he could send Onesimus back to Philemon carrying what we now call the epistle to Philemon. The backstory includes that Onesimus was a runaway slave of Philemon's who had come and found sanctuary with Paul and then was born again. He was baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, look, you need to make this right with Philemon. And so he sends him back carrying the letter that we now call the epistle of Philemon. Now what little is known of Philemon, we do know that his name means friendly or affectionate, and we know he was a born-again believer in the city of Colossae. Paul's opening words to him, and partly that we read here in this short 25-verse epistle, are not just mere platitudes attempting to coddle Philemon and hope that he will uh, receive Onesimus back. Instead, they are stating the truth about Philemon's character and true faith 
in Christ Jesus. It's obvious from the inspired Word of God then that Philemon's faith was upward towards God and it was outward towards others. <coughs> Excuse me. His faith was communicated effectively and his life reflected the attributes of our Lord Jesus Christ. So tonight, as we go through the book of James and talk about faith, I want you to consider the life of Philemon. If you need someone to look up to, if you need a hero this holiday season, look no further than Philemon, the faithful believer in Colossae. And so, as we now transition to explore the book of James, tonight we're going to discover the following. We're going to discover and examine the test of our faith. This is going to be found in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. We're going to reveal the true characteristics, or the characteristics rather, of true faith. This is the bulk of what we will look at tonight. It's James 1, 19 through chapter 5, verse 6. And we will discover the triumph of our faith, James 5, 7 through 20. So the test of our faith, the characteristics of true faith, and the triumph of our faith. Now that's a whole lot to cover. That's five chapters. And I probably won't be able to cover it all. So I'll either have to keep preaching till about midnight. Or do a part two and three. Amen. Or four and five as well. So one way or another, we're at least going to start and talk about the totality of true faith. In the book of James, the word faith is mentioned 12 times. Nine of those in chapter two alone. Now, although the word faith is not mentioned in, at all in chapters three and four, the concept of true faith is seen throughout the entirety of the book of James. This book is an encouraging epistle for believers of all ages. It is filled with timeless wisdom and practical teaching that solidifies the tenets of what it means to be faithful. The book of James promises the crown of life to those who endure to the end, who faithfully persevere and love God. Do you want to hear him say, well done? Yes. Amen. So let's, let's start by talking about the test of our faith now. Lord willing, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Uh, it's, it's a lot of times preachers love to give commentary. It's what we're called to do. We're, we're called to, to, but I want to read through the text tonight of the scripture. And, and if you will, kind of in an unplugged sense where where. You know, if the Lord prompts me, I'll give some commentary, but I, I want to just read. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because I want you to, to gather it. Uh, so if you, if you have a King James or other translation, it's going to sound a little bit different, but follow along if you can, but listen more importantly to what <clears throat> is being said. James 1, verse 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. 
For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is, div excuse me, is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything they do. Is this speaking to anybody yet? Do you know what I'm saying? Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and fails and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word, and we out of all creation, became his prized possession. You know, sometimes pausing and listening or reading through a passage really helps you to get a, a better grip and understanding. How many of you, and, and I'm not asking this to embarrass anybody, but you've found a verse, you like it, you take it, and, and I do it too. You know, we, but, you know, there's something about context that adds a wealth of understanding to what you're facing. So what are the purpose of tests? It's, it's counterculture to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations. Listen, it may not make sense, but it will make saints. When our faith is tested, we are given the opportunity to grow and become complete in Christ. If we need wisdom to understand or endure the test, all we have to do is ask. But when we ask, we have to ask in faith, nothing wavering. 
King James calls it being double-minded. We can't afford to be double-minded. Amen? Amen? Everything on this earth is going to perish. Everything. It's going to fade. Except God's word and those who do his will. If we'll faithfully endure to the end, we will receive the crown of life. Is not that the ultimate goal of the born-again believer? To look forward to that moment when, when we are forever in his presence? You know, the Garden of Eden was a literal garden. There was some sort of vegetable and fruit. I don't know if it's the same that we have now or similar, but there was fruit and vegetables there in that garden. But Eden also means the presence of God. Adam and Eve were in the presence of God. And they lost that because of sin. But thankfully, the last Adam came to restore to us relationship to reconcile us and redeem us from our sin so that we can be in relationship and be in the presence of God again. But how many of you know they'll, they'll come into this service, we'll go to sleep, we'll go to work tomorrow, we'll go to school, we'll do this, we'll do that. And there's, there's things that pull and distractions that pull at us. But there's coming a day when there is no more of that. There's coming a day when we will forever be in the presence of God yet again. Amen. And that's when we will have received that crown of life. This passage that we just read also shows us the source of temptations. God will test your faith, but he will never tempt you to sin. Let me say that again. God will test your faith, but will never tempt you to sin. There's a difference between the diverse temptations in verse 1 and the tempting verses in verses 13 and 14. And James, of course, explains this. Our lust conceives sinful desires that in, if are carried to term, bring forth sin and death. So, we should be careful what we desire. Oh, by the way, lust in this passage, it's not just referring to sexual sin. It's desiring anything that can lead you from God. If I have a, a lust for something, a desire for something that takes me away from my connection and relationship to God, let, let me say it to you this way. <clears throat> Some people cancel things for church. Other people cancel church for things. You say, well, you know, I know, but is church really that important? Yes, it is. The Bible says, forsake not the assemblings of yourselves together. So much so as you see that day approaching. Okay? Now, we know God does not tempt us to sin. We also know that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And by the way, God doesn't play favorites. He gives to whosoever will. If you'll seek God with your whole heart, you'll find him. If you have faith that pleases him, 
faith that believes he exists, faith that believes he rewards those that diligently seek him, you will find him. And by the way, speaking of the testing of your faith, the greatest test of your faith is when you don't get what you want, but you still serve God faithfully. Amen? Amen? Every one of us could attest to that at some time or another where we've not received what we wanted or when we've wanted it or how we've wanted it. But when we continue to serve God faithfully anyway, yeah. Sometimes, listen to this, sometimes God pushes us to our limits, testing us beyond our endurance because God has greater faith in us than we have in ourselves. Mm. Oh, and by the way, remember, there's no testimony without a test. God is growing your faith to the point that you are perfect and complete, needing nothing. Nothing but Him. When God is all you have, God is all you need. All right. Let's look at the characteristics of true faith. Faith obeys God's word. James 1.19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God, the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has power to save your souls. I want to pause here for a minute and go back to something in verse 19. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Sometimes we're just the opposite. We're quick to get angry, slow to listen, and slower to speak. Hmm. I don't want to let something in me hinder the righteousness God wants to put in me. Right? I want to receive his word. But I don't want it to have to fight with my anger or bitterness or jealousy or pride. Verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure 
and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Wow. Wow. The Word of God must become more than just a book. It must become who we are and what we do. Amen? It must become that which we look forward to, go after, seek for. Amen? The Bible has no mouth, but it speaks to me daily. It corrects me, directs me, and encourages me. The Bible has no arms, but it carries me, comforts me, and reaches for me daily. The Bible has no feet, but it walks with me every day. When I've gone astray, it searches for me until it finds me and returns me safely to the Father's house. The Bible may be inedible to some, but I have tasted it, and it nourishes my hunger every time. Hallelujah. Is anybody thankful for the Word of God? Praise God. So faith obeys God's Word. Amen. Also, are you ready for this? Faith does not discriminate. Prejudice is sin, period. James 2, 1. You ready? Here we go. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? You know, sometimes it's okay to say amen. Sometimes it's okay to say ouch. Sometimes the word has a way of penetrating our heart saying, oh, yeah, okay. Verse 5, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal laws found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. 
There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when He judges you. You know, we've often thought that the Scripture in Luke that give and it shall be given you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom, right? We've often used that, I've been one to use it, in a giving campaign. We're raising money for XYZ or whatever. And it does fit, and certainly God blesses us as that Scripture says. But the actual context there is anything I give. In other words, if I give judgment... I can expect to receive judgment, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If I give hatred, I can expect to receive hatred, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. If I give love, mercy, you pick the, the scenario. If I forgive, I can expect forgiveness, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It's what are you giving? It's not just money. It's everything. Faith does not discriminate. Amen? Amen? Faith is proven by good works. Now, good works can't save us. We know this. But we also know from the same verse in Ephesians 2, we're saved to do good works. We also know from Ecclesiastes and Corinthians and a plethora of other places that we will be judged by our works. And we know faith is proven by our good works. Watch this. James 2, 14. You ready? What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, Goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? It, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, some may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say... How can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the devils believe this. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without works. Wow. So, faith 
proves our faith, excuse me, is proven by good works. You could maybe read through that and ask yourself, what am I doing for the kingdom of God? Now, of course, we don't do things to try to get brownie points. We don't do things to hope God notices or somebody else notices and we get paraded you know, in front of everyone for it. We do it just because it's the right thing to do. Amen? Okay, here we go. Faith controls the tongue. Mm. James 3. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Anytime I have somebody come and tell me they feel a call to preach and teach, I'm like, have you read James 3, 1? Amen? Verse 2, indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Ouch! And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Mm. It's easy to talk in tongues on Sunday. It's easy to worship and shout hallelujah on a Wednesday. But let me just make it this plain to you. If you can do that on a Sunday and Wednesday and then turn around and tell a dirty joke, cuss and swear, be prejudiced with actions and words, speak evil over somebody, you need to get back to the altar and get refilled and renewed in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Faith controls the tongue. You ever wonder why that's maybe why God wants us to speak in tongues as, as the evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit? I think it could be one of the reasons why. Because, watch this, a lot of people can give their hands to the Lord. I've had many people tell me, I'd love to help out around the church. 
whether it's raking leaves or painting or whatever, they can give their hands. They can give their time. I've had people give money. It's easy to do a lot of those things. But when we give the most unruly member of our body to God, surrendering it to Him, and let Him speak through us, Isaiah said, for with stammering lips and another tongue, it's, it's surrendering that control to Him. And if we can do that when we receive the Holy Spirit, and if we can do that when we pray in the Spirit, surely we can do that all the time. Because let me say this, we don't just have the Holy Spirit with us when we're here at church and we've got blue chairs and a praise team and a song or two. Amen? If you're full of the Holy Spirit, it's with you always. It's on your job. It's at your school. Amen. It's in your community. You know, you might get a day off or two days off for the upcoming Christmas holiday, but the Holy Spirit doesn't get a day off. It's always with you. It's with you when you're sick. It's with you when you're well. Amen. It's with you when you're stuck in traffic. Hallelujah. It's with you when the construction zones just keep popping up all over Omaha. Hallelujah. It's with you always. Amen. And, and if we can tap into the Spirit of God in a service because our goosebump machine gets turned on and, woo, your kingdom come, Lord. Surely, when we're also alone and the temptation to want to use our tongue, oh, I'm preaching now, ain't I? Well, Kennedy, I told you I wasn't going to be able to stay just reading, man. The Holy Spirit's moving here. We've got to make sure we've controlled our tongues. Hallelujah. Faith controls the tongue. Let's keep going here. Faith produces wisdom from above. James 3, and I'm at verse 13. Amen. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. Wow. Just like we've paused before on verses that are all, and sometimes I'll joke and say, you know, you know, trust the Lord with most of your heart, and few, few of you will yell out all, right? If you're yielding to the earthly wisdom, you are opening a door to every kind of evil. We need to be careful. There were two trees in the garden that were specific and set apart from all the other trees. Now, 
any other type of tree, apple tree, etc. They could have picked fruit off, ate of it, etc. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were not permitted to eat. It was in the midst of the garden. However, they were, were permitted to eat from the tree of life. I don't know what kind of fruit was on there or, but, or vegetable or what, but they could eat of that, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, of course, that's the one that Satan tempted, and they did eat, and sin entered the world. And did, have you ever noticed when you're reading it in Genesis 3 that the minute they eat, she eats, then Adam eats, boom, their eyes are open, and for the first time, in the history of man, shame, guilt, fear, uh, sin, all of these types, oh my God, we've done something wrong, floods through and courses through their veins. We're familiar with every one of those because it's around us all the time. But they lived for at least two chapters, and I don't know how long, without that. And because they ate from the wrong tree, Pandora's box of sin was open and every kind of evil is now present in the world. That's the risk we take if we seek earthly wisdom. But thank God there is a different tree to eat from. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. <coughs> Excuse me. It is also peace-loving gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. I don't know about you, but I would much rather eat from the tree that produces that kind of wisdom. If, the, if, if eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if, if partaking of the earthly wisdom, so to speak, will open up every kind of evil, and that's choice over here, versus choice over here of pure and gentle and merciful and peace-loving and all of this, I mean, is it really a question? Is it really? Do we have to go, hmm, let me think about this for a minute. Okay, evil of every kind. I mean, do we really have to set back? Or can we recognize, you know what, I want nothing to do with that. And if even a leaf of that tree blows into my yard, man, I am destroying it faster than anything because the only thing I want growing is this tree over here that produces wisdom from above. So that's what faith does. It produces wisdom from above. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's the kind of faith I want. How about you? Is that what you want? You want to please God? It, it, it's real simple how to do it, isn't it? Just follow what the Word says. The beginning, uh, I have a Bible that has a little blurb. I just want to read something out of it to you here with regards to James. Faith without works cannot be called faith. Faith without works is dead, verses 2.26. And a dead faith is worse than no faith at all. Faith must work, it must produce, it must be visible. Verbal faith is not enough. Mental faith is insufficient. Faith must be there, but it must be more. It must inspire action. 
And throughout his epistle to the Jewish believers, James integrates true faith in everyday practical experience by stressing that true faith must manifest itself in works of faith. All of you are familiar at least with, you know, uh, Blue Moon Fitness or other types of gyms or, you know, I don't know, some of the other names of there might be you know, treadmills and, you know, uh, stair steppers and you know, weight benches and all that. Maybe you've been in one. Maybe you have a, uh, you know, uh, membership and just don't use it or maybe you do. I don't know. I don't care. You know, one thing that I find funny is people that'll buy a stair stepper, especially, especially if in their house they have stairs. I've often wondered about this. I really have. I, I have at times wondered, you, you have two stories and you're buying a stair stepper. Okay. It's above my pay grade, I guess. Um, you know, but, but nonetheless, we know, we know what a gym is, right? Okay. We know that if we wanted to, we could go to a gym, we could exercise and possibly build some muscle, lose some weight, whatever the goal might be, right? We understand that concept? Well, do you know that when you're doing that, you're pushing your body to some limitations? Maybe you're curling some weights and, you know, if 40 pounds is nothing, you're adding 50. If 50 is nothing, you're adding 75, and, right? Because you're, you're pushing that body because you want to stretch those muscles and Faith is the same thing. If anybody, ever tell, if anybody ever tells you that living for God is, is you know, just this easy peasy, better roses, nothing ever happens, you're just, you know, uh, health, wealth, and wise, walk away from them because that's not true. Living for God involves tests and trials. It involves things that prove and test my faith. And let me say this, the longer you live for God, the longer that you walk with Him, you'll be able to look back and say, man, I've come a mighty long way. And let me just say it to you like this, I've come so far with God, I don't want to turn back. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the next trial valley might be. I don't know what the next thing might be, but I know this, all I got to do is look back and see Every one of them he's brought me through. Therefore, I have faith he's going to bring me through the next one. And the ones I've been through have built my faith to this point. I'll never forget something my mom said one time. She had um, moved up with us in Maine after my dad and her had divorced. <clears throat> and she was going through some things. And uh, our kids, of course, were younger at that time and home. And a comment was made one night, we were having dinner or something, about, you know, hope our kids never leave home and all this and whatever. And, and of course, I left home, my sister left home, and, and my mom says, well, you know, there's no guarantee that that'll be the way it is. And, and you know, um, I forget something about, you know, when you, if, if you go through that, you know, it, it's going to be a difficult thing. And, and my wife made a comment that I've never forgotten. She said, well... If that's what we face, God will give us the grace to go through it. And it reminded me of something that happened with Paul. Paul had a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. 
He asked the Lord three different times, Lord, can you remove this thing? Can you take it away? Can you, can you help me with it? And God basically says, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, my grace is sufficient for you. There's something I'm teaching you through this, Paul, that if you'll just let me, learn, let, uh, let me teach you the lesson, you learn it, you're going to get through this and be stronger for it. And so if you're in something right now, instead of asking why me, why is this happening, what did I do to deserve this, ask God this question. Lord, what do you want to teach me? What's the purpose that I need to, to learn? What, what's the, the lesson I can learn to develop and be a better believer, a better disciple? That's the question to ask. Obviously, we didn't get through all of James, so we'll have to do part two some other time. Why don't we stand together in Jesus' name? Hallelujah. So we've still got James 4 and 5 to come, so we'll see what happens. If not, by the end of this year, we'll definitely do it for the next year. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Challenge us by it, with it, and through it. Let us obey it. Let us walk in it faithfully and humbly. We ask it and pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. And would everyone say, amen. God bless you. Go be the church in Jesus' name.